Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. We have to make sure that it gets there with integrity. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. We're very much focused on others just as an industry. This is the Pro AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Sound check complete. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the show. No, I am not Daniel Litwin, your normal host. I am Tyler Kern, Daniel Litwin's co-host here at MarketScale. Daniel is actually away at CES covering that show for MarketScale. So if you're not following along with all of his coverage from CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, you're going to want to head over to our software and tech website as well uh, to that vertical. Make sure you go check out all the stuff that we have on that industry page of Daniel's adventures there in Las Vegas covering the Consumer Electronics Show, one of the biggest trade shows in the entire world. He's been there uh, for the last several days covering that show from top to bottom for market scale. So you're going to want to head over there to get some of that content as well. But on today's podcast here on the Pro AV Show, we have a lot of great stuff coming up for you. In the first feature of the show today, it's titled Law Enforcement is Using Pro AV to Keep You Safe. And I talked to Dr. Alex Del Carmen. He's a professor of criminology at Tarleton State University. And we're going to talk about different ways that Pro AV technology has been integrated into law enforcement. So whether it's drones or GPS or body cams or other technologies, technology that's at the fingertips of officers these days. It's helping them do their jobs better, and it's also bringing an added level of accountability that maybe hasn't been there in the past, both for officers and then for the general public as well. So we also get into a little bit more about uh, privacy concerns with some of these technologies. So you're going to want to hear what he has to say. He's a really smart guy and really plugged into that world of law enforcement. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Our second feature of the day comes from our correspondent, Sean Heath, and he talked to Sean Wargo, the Senior Director of Market Intelligence at Avixa, and they looked back at 2018 and went through some of the trends of 2018, and then what's going to carry through into 2019, what are going to be some of the big trends. They also have a conversation at some point about Fortnite. Uh, You're going to want to hear that as well. So a lot of big conversations on this week's episode of the show, some really intriguing ones as well as we look back at 2018, forward at 2019, and also take a deep dive into Pro AV in law enforcement. So lots of good stuff on this week's episode of the show. You've heard enough from me. Let's dive into that first feature with Dr. Alex Del Carmen from Tarleton State University. Right, joining me now on the Market Scale Pro AV podcast is Dr. Alex Del Carmen. He's the executive director and professor of the School of Criminology, Criminal Justice, and Strategic Studies at Tarleton State University. Dr. Del Carmen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. So we're talking today about technological advances, uh, specifically in the pro AV field in uh, law enforcement and in policing. Uh, so I, I remember watching uh, The Wire when it was on television, and in the first season, uh, the police officers are sitting there and they're using typewriters at their desks. And I don't know that it, I don't know how long that that has been uh, phased out or if it has been entirely. But uh, just in your time in in law enforcement, uh, how have you seen technology progressing? 
You know, Tyler, I, I often say this to people that 21 years ago, when I first started working with law enforcement across the United States, I did not anticipate, and I think many of us never anticipated that technology was going to take us to where we are today. I mean, I think if you look back 21 years ago, most of us thought that the radio and the beepers and, and pagers were innovative, you know, and those individuals that were lucky enough to have a cell phone, they had to carry almost what, what appeared to be like a lunchbox. You know, that's, that was the size of a cell phone that had half, half of the reception that we have in today's, you know, pocket, you know, field, um, you know, cell phones. But at the end of the day, what, I, what we've seen is we've seen an evolution that has really radicalized the, the way that people perceive law enforcement and the way law enforcement actually acts with others. I mean, it really has affected behavior, which is what I think is unique about technology. It's not only all the legal and ethical and social ramifications of it, but also how it has affected the behavior of police officers and how people's behavior have changed as a result of it as well. So what are some specific examples of technology that has improved, that has affected those behaviors? Are you, st- are you speaking primarily about something like body cameras or, uh, or are there different examples that you have in mind? So, you know, body cameras are a great example, actually, but not, it's not uniquely the, the only source of technological advance that has actually changed things, right? But, but if you look at body cams, you know, body cameras alone have, have been responsible now for the the explanation, if you want to call it that, or the in some ways the implication of a behavior of a police officer as it relates to a particular crime, right? So when you look at how police officers behave, what they say, how they act, uh, how they interact with other people, it's it's a lot of it is governed by the presence of that body camera because they know ultimately that the camera is not going to lie. I mean, even though you know, we experts in policing often argue that context in the, you know, when it comes to body camera reviews is important. And it is. Uh, at the end of the day, though, the body camera is not going to change, you know, the, the reality. So what the officer said versus how that person reacted or what that person initiated as it, as it relates to the interaction with the officer. So I think body cameras are an example of it. But if you also think about the the fact that every single citizen or most citizens carry a cell phone, and by virtue of that, they're all carrying a body camera in one way or another. And here in Texas, for instance, we have what's called the one-party uh, consent uh, law, which basically means that if if if, if I uh, decide to record you in a public uh, setting, I'm allowed to do so, and I don't have to have permission from you to do so. So if you think about that, we're all carrying body cams. We're all recording people, and that's governed the, the way people perceive law enforcement and certainly the way police officers act around the public as well. That's a really good point. And I, I wonder just um, about the size of the body cameras, because I haven't really seen one in person. Uh, are they in any way inhibitive for officers to uh, complete the movements and be as agile as they need to be in the field? And what about the quality of the uh, the footage as well? Is it uh, as good as it needs to be, or are we still continuing to progress in that way? Right. So, so the size of a body camera, you know, it's not significant. So if you were to make a fist, regardless of the size of your of your fist, for the most part, it's about the the comprehensive size of a body cam, right? So, and as far as quality is concerned, there most of them are HDs, um, and so so you know it's reasonably good. Uh, you know, obviously the, the, the problem with the body cam is not the size or the quality of the video, but rather does it really capture the essence of the entire interaction 
between the officer and a suspect, right? And so what that means is some of them are armed in such a way that they turn on about 30 seconds, you know, prior. You can you, essentially, if you if you the officer interacts with somebody and turns it on, then then it goes back 30 seconds prior. So it's almost like a DVR that is constantly recording, but it's never actually going to store that unless you press the record button. It will go back 30 seconds or so. Um, you know, before the instance uh, started, right? But in some other cases, they're they're automatically on, and and that's the case in most cases where the officer has it on uh, and and keeps it on, uh, you know, pretty much throughout the entire shift, except those times that he or she may go to the restroom or take a break or whatnot. But they're recording constantly and they're dumping all their data in this particular data dump that is used later on for review purposes. The problem with the body cam, however, is that it doesn't sometimes gives you context. And so it gives you sort of a tunnel vision of the instance or the or the event. And so so sometimes people are not able to see other people in the in the image. They're not able to really understand what the officer is undergoing psychologically and physically at the time of a pursuit or interaction with a suspect. And so it doesn't capture all of it, but it does capture some of it. Absolutely. Let's let's uh, move away from body cameras and take a look maybe just at, at some other examples of technology when it comes to law enforcement. Uh, have you seen the use of drones at all in the field, uh, either for their uh, video capability or something else uh, as, a, as a way to, uh, to uh, I guess, increase the reach of a uh, law enforcement division? Uh, absolutely. Right. So, so, you know, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. So here it's not uncommon to have cities like Mansfield and Arlington and various other cities that are currently using the drones uh, for various purposes. And, and it, is, it is a great tool for law enforcement, particularly because it gives you that aerial perspective, um, you know, in a matter of, of a few minutes or sometimes even seconds, that individual that has the drone up in the air can be at the scene before the actual units even arrive. And so, so it gives the ability for law enforcement to be able to see things that they may not necessarily see uh, from a unidimensional perspective when a police unit arrives. It also allows for law enforcement uh, to be on the ground very quickly before a patrol unit can actually go through traffic and, and fight the red lights in order to get to the scene. And thirdly, it also allows for us to have an assessment before the units show up, right? So if the drone is up in the air and is able to give you a pretty good perspective of how many bad guys are on the ground, um, you know, how many victims are on the ground, what type of deployment needs to be made, that operator that is on their way to the scene is able to then have a psychological image of what he or she is going to encounter. So it is it is of great technological use. And nowadays they're actually even having conversations and making plans, some of these vendors, to actually uh, uh, use equipment. For instance, to, you know, whenever there's a rescue attempt being done, that they're actually going to be strong and big enough to carry a person out of danger uh, or to drop or to drop equipment, for instance. Uh, you know, uh, you know, crucial equipment before the the helicopter or the rescuers can show up, uh, you know, to to help that individual out. So, so yeah, it's it's going to be enhanced quite a bit in the next couple of years. Do you know of departments utilizing GPS to track their officers in the field, either just to uh, know where people are positioned or uh, just just properly allocating, uh, you know, manpower resources uh, to certain areas? Do do departments use anything along those lines? Yeah. So so departments back in the in the nineteen eighties and nineties, 
um, we started developing something called Com uh, Comstat, which is essentially a, this was developed in New York City, by the way, which is a model that is used uh, with technology to be able to pinpoint where the crimes are taking place within a city. And what that does do is it allows for the deployment of officers to be more effective, meaning that in those areas where crime is taking place, you know, then law enforcement would be deployed in, a, in accordance to the amount of crime that is there. So imagine this huge, you know, uh, 3D map, you know, that is interactive, that you're constantly plotting where crime is taking place and how the troops are being deployed to and from the scene. So that has evolved to what we now have, which is, you know, most departments have the ability of knowing where their officers are because there is a GPS tracker mechanism within the police unit, right? So most units, you know, most dispatchers know where the units are at all times. And some police officers already have the ability of once they leave the vehicle to be tracked by that dispatcher. And this is also obviously for their safety as well to, so that we know where they are pretty much at all times. So, so the technology is there. It's being utilized along with other tools within the scope of, of that law enforcement daily activities. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a lot of times when we talk about technology, especially technology of this kind, whether it be drones or GPS or body cams, uh, another conversation kind of comes alongside it, and that is privacy, um, either of citizens and also of officers. Uh, how, how do you balance the idea that you want to give officers every tool necessary to uh, keep citizens safe and accomplish the goals that they're, they're trying to achieve while also maintaining uh, a level of privacy for the public and also for officers? All right, so it's a great question, but you know, I'll put on my academic hat for a bit to answer that. It, you know, there was a guy by the name of Herbert Packer that night in the 1970s, he wrote an, a great article which came out in, in a law review in Pennsylvania, and, and the article was labeled or was called, you know, crime control versus due process, right? And, and this guy's theory and premise is that every society at every time in history including ours, they have to make a decision between the pendulum shifting towards crime control or shifting back towards due process, right? So if you look at, for instance, what happened before 9-11, right? So our society was mostly focused on due process, on the rights of individuals and whatnot. Then we all of a sudden have this major disruption in our, in our lives, which is 9-11. And when that happened, the pendulum shifted completely to a crime control model where people were very quick to, you know, approve the Patriot Act and think that that was a great thing, right? To the idea of giving up your rights for the sake of protecting society, right? So I think what's happened throughout the years, especially since 9-11, is that we have had sort of an ongoing debate in our society between do we actually protect citizens or do we, or 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 what's the what's the trade-off about making sure that we ensure the protection over individual rights? And I think that when that pendulum shifts, we begin to ask that question. There is no question, Tyler, that technology has proposed that debate for us again, right? Meaning that we're uh, we're actually talking about these drones and whether or not the drones invade our privacy if they're in your backyard. Do you have an expectation of privacy versus the protection of knowing that Big Brother is watching you, right? So, so at the end of the day, you know, it's always going to be that question, but it's going to be something that society has to answer at a given time, which is what is the price, what is the benefit of feeling protected versus giving up your rights of privacy that you we so hold dearly in our society, right? So, so th those are the questions that will continue to be asked as technology continues to be more and more invasive and challenge the Constitution, quite frankly, as it relates to that, those privacy laws. 
That's insight from Dr. Alex Del Carmen. He's the executive director and a professor at the School of Criminology, Criminal Justice, and Strategic Studies at Tarleton State University. Dr. Del Carmen, thank you so much for joining me on the Pro AV Podcast. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks again to Dr. Alex Del Carmen from Tarleton State University, the professor of criminology there. You know, it's a really interesting conversation, and I really appreciate his insight across the board, acknowledging that more accountability for both officers and for the general public is something that's necessary and something that can be really, really good for the overall population. Uh, I think his insight there is fantastic, and also acknowledging some of the privacy concerns and the way that as technology has moved forward, we've progressively had to answer more and more of those conversations. So I think that was a great conversation. I'm curious to get him back on the show, uh, maybe in a different capacity sometime soon, just to learn more of his thoughts on these types of matters. All right, coming up next is our correspondent Sean Heath's conversation with Sean Wargo from Avixa, and they're going to talk about the last 12 months, so 2018, looking back into uh, into what the year into the year that was in 2018 and looking forward into 2019 and what's going to move forward from the year 2018 into the new year. So it's going to be a great conversation. We're calling it our 2018 Rewind here on the Market Scale Pro AV podcast coming up next. Market Scales Pro AV Rewind 2018. I'm your host, Sean Heath. You know, uh, the beginning of a new year is always exciting. There's a real psychological boost that everyone gets through the turning of the metaphorical calendar. Uh, we leave behind in the previous year the things that we didn't really appreciate or love about that year and we look forward with optimism to new opportunities renewed energy and if you're a tech nerd like me you're really excited about all the new gadgets that are going to start coming out in the next couple of months in the spring trade shows well today i have an opportunity to talk to someone who lives in both years at the same time and that's sean wargo the senior director of market intelligence for avixa sean happy new year how are you today Good, Sean. Happy New Year to you as well. Doing great. Thanks for having me. So, uh, are you disillusioned about 2019 yet? You're not, right? We're only eight days in. <laughs> not yet. You know, I'd say certainly there's lots of uh, people looking for clouds in the sky, but certainly in technology, a lot of good, a uh, lot of sunshine, a lot of good things to look forward to as we look into the new year. Well, let's take a moment and do the actual rewind part of this podcast. Let's talk about 2018 for a minute. Now, in in your position as the director, senior director of market intelligence, you literally have to keep your eyes looking in all directions, forward and backwards, in all planes of time, because you have to know what's going on. Intelligence is actually in the name. It's in the title of what you do. So do me a favor. Look back at 2018, if you would, and and. Tell us about a thing or two, either a concept or a technology that you think is really worth bringing forward into the new year. Sure, sure. You know, so part of the job too is learning to look at and see beyond the forest, uh, see beyond the trees to the forest itself and kind of what's going on overall. So much in technology, there's a lot of individual micro trends, uh, new techs coming up. 
uh, evolutions in product. But there's a lot at the surface level, at the, at the overall level, that really kind of tells us what's going on. So in Pro-AV, one of the big things historically that this industry has essentially built itself on is, say, the corporate uh, office space or the classroom and education those were kind of the core of what ProAV did. We, we built out conference rooms, we built out auditoriums, we built out classrooms. What's really exciting in this space now is across so many industries, there's increasing opportunity to bring technology in to enhance and augment uh, those experiences. So a good example for me that is exciting as I look back in the year, lots of news about retail and its challenges, store closures, companies going out of business. But at the same time, to compete against the rise of online, uh, where so many of us do our shopping now, stores are improving their experiences, creating destinations. Um, retailtainment has been used as a phrase to describe it. So as I look at even a, a local mall here in Northern Virginia, Tyson's Corner, there's a store uh, by the brand Dyson. Uh, what they've done with technology to essentially create a space where you can interact with the product, the brand, uh, get a whole feel for the, for the user experience, that kind of stuff is really cool and exciting. So beneath that, there's a lot of little individual technologies like LED displays, LCD, uh, great audio, lighting, etc. But what we're talking about on the on in total is that experience and how technology, when pulled together to a solution and, and a whole application, is able to bring us to another level uh, and help us compete against what may have been uh, challenges in the past. So that's kind of the theme that I would look at is how technology is being increasingly used in diverse ways to create those exceptional experiences for us as users and consumers across so many areas. That to me is exciting stuff. One of the things that I've always thought about technology over the past, say, 10 or 15 years is it it seems as if we're putting an awful lot of effort in trying to make the artificial feel real. We're trying to improve mm -hmm. the visual reproduction. We're trying to improve the audio reproduction um, in order to make the interaction that we have with that technology as humans, that human-machine interface, we're trying to make it feel more natural or more comfortable. One of the things that I thought was a huge challenge that Avixa has been a part of is the growth of esports and how we consume and even participate in that. Because when you think of sports, you think of dirt and grass and outdoors. Maybe it's raining, maybe it's snowing. And esports, the biggest challenge I always thought was breaking through that stigma of, well, there's no way that you can, you know, bleed, so how can it be a real sport? But Avixa, you guys partnered up and have really been at the forefront of creating the experience that is revolutionizing the way esports are perceived. Talk to me about that a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah, it is an interesting phenomenon. Esports, uh, video games in general, meant to be at its core sort of an individualistic experience. We plug in, jack into the the computer or console and kind of engage in it ourselves. What this new generation and this new phenomenon of esports is telling us is that at its core, there's still this social dynamic. People like to participate. They like to watch. They, they want to be there with the gamers playing the game uh, to immerse themselves and kind of uh, revel in what they view as uh, an example, a display of skill. So 
a phenomenal opportunity, even as uh, there's been a lot of statistics about um, the aging population of traditional sports viewers uh, across many ma uh, major league baseball, perhaps being the, the most extreme of those. Uh, at the same time, esports, younger generation, a great and very desired marketing base. So that in and of itself helps fuel this phenomenon as advertisers try to tap in uh, via these these venues. So with so much so much opportunity, so many dollars at stake, you can see why there's been tremendous investment um, on these these venue uh, developers, uh, facility managers to create an exceptional experience, provide opportunity for engagement, but also provide a way for advertisers to reach this very desired segment. So on our side, certainly it's about supporting the community of installers, integrators, first off, even just highlighting that this exists. I think for those of us who may be outside of the target demographic, shall we say, uh, age-wise, we're less privy to what might be going on. And so revealing it as, look, this is out there. This is a phenomenon this is a a new uh, a new way a new a new medium for uh, consumers to engage in. Let's be part of it uh, as an integrator installer. You can be a part of bringing these experiences out. Clearly, there's a, a tremendous amount of technology involved, well beyond just the core of the console, the PC, the games themselves, to the whole immersive experience: uh, digital signage, screens, audio. Um, rumble seats, all that sort of stuff playing into the mix. So yes, there's a, a growing base of integrator installers, manufacturers who are looking at this opportunity, trying to bring their technology prowess and expertise into it. Uh, so it's one that we're excited to, to continue to support and, and highlight as a, as a key opportunity for the space, for sure. Now, it sounds like somewhere in there, you slipped in the fact that you called me old. And I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That hurts a little bit. <laughs> I, you know, I can neither confirm nor deny I would put myself in the same category, honestly. Although <laughs> technically, we are both a year older, even if our birthday hasn't happened, because we're in 2019. True. So let's go ahead and let's make that full leap, completely immerse ourselves. We're now in 2019. We talked about some of the things that you liked from last year. Looking forward, without giving away any secrets, have you seen any one or two things upcoming that really have you energized? Honestly, there's a, there is so much to talk about. It, it, there really is, uh, and, and much of it has been a buzz for quite some time, but it's becoming more uh, reality inside the pro AV space. So a good example, one that uh, reached a crescendo perhaps in 2018 is voice control. This ability to, as you mentioned, be able to interact with technology in a more natural way, using our voice, going beyond gesture um, and hand control via mouse to be able to speak to our tech and, and tell it kind of what we're needing, what we're looking for at that particular time. That's starting to cross over into professional audio video a little bit. I would put forward hospitality. So hotel rooms is perhaps the first example of that, where they're trying to replicate some of that home experience inside of a guest room uh, to create exceptional experience there. The next logical leap is into the, the boardroom, honestly, the conference room, bringing it into the workplace where we start to interact with conference rooms in a more natural fashion. Lots of challenges there. And I, I certainly wouldn't downplay that 
because they're very real. Some of them are security, uh, privacy, um, user diversity, all those sorts of things present a lot of challenges that you wouldn't get inside the home. But I'd say that's one that a lot of people are talking about and looking at as something they can add to their tool belt as an installer integrator uh, to start to improve and, and take those experiences to another level. Beyond that, you've got a lot of evolutionary stuff, um, direct view LED, the improved pixel, pixels, the, uh, pit, uh, pixel pitches uh, there, resolution ultimately, and supply chain issues are allowing that technology to show up in a lot more places and bring even more uh, realism to you know, big screen displays and stadiums or digital signage on uh, Broadway, those, those sorts of things even into the conference room and classroom as well. So plenty to talk about. Just depends on where your interest lies, I should say, as you look at 2019. I, I want to go back for a second to the the way we change the the way that we interface with our technology. We are, as you mentioned, we're starting to get to voice control. We're starting to get to facial recognition. Are these technologies or, or, or these uh, approaches so advanced that we haven't been able to do them technologically until the current day? Or is it just that we had our attention focused someplace? The fundamental challenges there were very real from a technical aspect. So if, if we look at just straight, so take the cell phone by, uh, by itself as an example, and the amount of processing computing power that now exists in that device, that facilitates the ability to uh, allow voice control. Uh, same thing and even, say, chipsets, miniaturization, all that sort of stuff, storage, in internet of things, the connectivity of devices. There's so much infrastructure that has to be in place. You have to have systems that can understand the nuances of voice, so that requires a lot of processing power. You have to have reliable connectivity back to servers for, to get the information. So when you ask Siri um, or Alexa a question, they can they can connect back and pull it forward in in what feels like a more natural response time frame versus you know if you were talking to some your friend and you asked a question and it took them uh, even beyond five seconds to answer you'd probably be wondering what's wrong uh, is, are you are you here <laughs> are you with me so we have to we have to recognize that a lot of those challenges have have been addressed by the technology to where it now becomes possible to truly. Uh, to truly solve and truly provide some of those experiences we expect. Voice has been around for a couple of decades now, but its first iterations were just didn't work. They, did, they didn't understand you. They didn't respond well. Uh, the error rates were high, et cetera. So I think we're now at a point where that becomes more real and more possible. So as we move into the new year, and I know spring has got to be one of the craziest times of year for you just because of all of the amazing conferences and, and webinars, there's so much stuff going on. Um, is there, when do you think you're going to catch your breath? When Honestly, you I'd be happy to have ongoing because it's, it's really, as we've talked about, the excitement never really ends. There's always something that you can, uh, some new area, some new path to go down, uh, some new question to be asked, especially as market researchers, uh, the best of us are, are insanely curious about uh, what's going on out there and, and are always looking for kind of the next thing, the, the, the next area of, of exploration. So we'd be happy to continue that journey with you and, uh, and talk as we go, uh, since catching our breath is, is uh, I'd say it's a marathon. We're always trying to, we're always trying to keep jogging. 
Thanks again to Sean Heath, our correspondent, for that interview. And thank you to Sean Wargo for his insight there on the year that was in 2018 and what we could be moving forward with in 2019. It's a really good conversation, so I appreciate both of those guys. That is all, unfortunately, that we have time for on this week's episode of the show. I hope you enjoyed that look at uh, those two topics today. Thank you for bearing with me as I filled in for my colleague, Daniel Litwin. He will be back soon, and we will be back for the next week of the Pro AV Show. So thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this content, we have more just like it on the Market Scale website. You can find all of our podcasts and our written content there in the Pro AV industry, as well as we have 14 different industries full of content. So if you're interested in software and tech, or if you're interested in a couple of different industries and how they intersect with Pro AV, uh, we have lots of content available across just about every industry that you can think of. So there's plenty there for your consumption. Uh, if you want to go browse around the industry page there at marketscale.com, we have a bunch of stuff there for you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast to make sure you get the latest episodes downloaded directly to your phone, either via iTunes or Spotify. However you get podcasts, it's really easy to do as well. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Market Scale Pro AV podcast. But until then, I've been your host for today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening.